welcome to the monthly podcast of maki finance by sagar i am your host sagar singh shetia and today i am joined by ryan lemon who is a market veteran he is the ceo and co-founder of new vision wealth management and is based out of middle east welcome ryan to the podcast thank you very much sagar thank you for having me okay so to start with i want to first focus on the backdrop of the recent fomc meet so a few days back just a month back we had markets predicting 6% terminal rate the two year yield was at 5% plus and the odds of a 50 basis points hike reached more than 90% it was a done deal however post the svb fallout circumstances changed rapidly and at one point markets were on the verge to predict that there will be no hike nonetheless the fed raised the rates by 25 basis points which was the consensus as we know Fed Chair in the presser mentioned that there may be. Uh, he emphasized that some additional tightening will be going forward. So many people interpret this as hawkish, and some people think that the policy and the presser was a bit on dovish side. So how how do you think was the policy? Was it hawkish or was it dovish? Well, that's a very difficult question to to answer because it depends on so many factors. Uh, one of the main ones is political. uh we've seen that the uh the fed chairman in 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 the past over the past 10 years have actually submitted to political pressure in several cases and given that 2024 is an election year in the us uh it's a fear that i have that uh, uh there might be some political pressure on jerome powell to take it easy a little bit and um not really go full on in fighting inflation because of what's happening in the banking sector because there is currently a panic in the us and you have lots of depositors who are basically pulling out of regional banks and going into larger banks going into gold going into bitcoin and and other assets so uh, moving forward um i'm not going to say what i think is right I, i'll say what i think could happen uh, is that i think jerome powell will try to be um on the softer tone um so not hawkish not dovish I'll try to find somewhere in the middle um i think that he will he will most likely pause rate hikes I'm not sure if next one will happen even i i think it's uh, it's compromised but at right. the same time he will keep financial conditions relatively loose so if you look mm-hmm. at the the fed balance sheet literally half of the quantitative tightening they have done over the past few months mm-hmm. half of it is gone uh, following the the banking fallout in the us Yes, so uh, we also had the dot plot release, which is released four times a year, and it is just like a guidance to the Fed policy, and uh, it suggests that there will be lower growth that than anticipated recently. Inflation will be later higher as the pressures are broad based. The unemployment rate will be stable, and the terminal rate stands at five point one percent, which is unchanged since the last policy, since the last dot plot. So when we dig deeper into the presser, the Fed chair mentioned that the regional banking crisis is equivalent to a rate hike. So Bloomberg considers it to be a hundred basis rate hike. Yardini Research they consider it fifty basis point rate hike. The the tightening lender lending standards that will follow the regional banking crisis. So what do you think? Uh, will it add tighten the financial conditions and add to the misery, or do you think that we will pass this phase out? Okay um I just want to draw a parallel here with the 1970s uh with Volcker the uh, the Fed chairman back then back then we've had a, a very similar very very high inflation uh situation 
And basically Volcker had the shock and awe approach to things. He really went full on to fight inflation. What happens in the following following few years is that more than 1,000 savings and loans institutions in the U.S., which are quasi-banking institutions, have have gone insolvent, have gone bankrupt. So the fallout was was quite substantial. And I encourage everyone to read about this. But what happened afterwards is that in the 1980s, the United States had its absolute best years from an economic growth perspective, from a manufacturing on all levels. The U.S. really flourished in the 1980s following that. So Volcker was very tough on it and he controlled inflation and it was a rebirth of the United States. I doubt very much this will happen again because I think the U.S. today is much more fragile than it was before. Right. So uh, I, I don't think that financial conditions will be tightened um, a lot from where we are today because mm-hmm. there will be um, casualties. And this should have been known from the start. You cannot right. control high single digit inflation without having mm-hmm. casualties. It's just impossible. So when you, you look at the S&P 500, 25% of the companies in the S&P 500 are the pure definition of a zombie company. So right. these will these will explode if you tighten financial conditions even further. So I don't think for political reasons, for fragility reasons of the US economy, that this will be done. What I think personally, I think no, it has to be tightened because um, uh, inflation for me is the absolute worst phenomenon that can affect an economy. I would take yeah. a recession any time of the day, but mm-hmm. not inflation. Absolutely agree with you. So the biggest question, the million dollar question is the rate cuts. Markets are expecting 75 basis rate rate cuts till the end of this year, while Powell says that his base case scenario involves no rate cut. So what do you think? What will happen? When will when will we see the first rate cut happening? Um, I, I personally don't think there will be um, rate cuts this year unless there is really a very large systemic event that takes place. If we continue continue to see idiosyncratic banks um, uh, blowing up in the U.S., this doesn't warrant really a, a, a rate cut. And I think the Fed today has the tools to mm-hmm. to do uh, to expand uh, financial conditions, loosen financial conditions, rather than resort to, to 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 rate cuts. I think the past, what I call the last decade, the past ten years mm-hmm. of close to zero interest rates, have taught the Fed a good lesson that they shouldn't go back again to this. And we have the perfect example for it, Japan. Japan has been dealing, has been having zero rates or even negative rates for years. Mm. And this has not really done any, any anything much. So um, if, if cutting rates and keeping them at zero produces uh, inflation or produces economic growth, then Japan should be growing at 10% per year today. So this just simply doesn't work. And history books have shown us it doesn't work. So in conclusion, I don't think there will be rate cuts unless there's a systemic massive event in the US. I think the Fed will resort to other tools um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as they're doing right now with idiosyncratic blowups. So do you think that we can, can we have a systematic uh, event in the U.S., a credit event in the U.S.? Because uh, I think just two days back, Bank of America Research released a report and they said that the most of the fund managers in the West now worry that the systematic, a systematic event is near to us. 
do you think that this bank blow up will morph into some something very bigger and will get a great event in the future in the next six months so i think it's it's more of a 2024 um, uh, event maybe late okay. maybe q4 2023 early 2024 right. so okay. uh, and let me draw a parallel here with the subprime with 2008 Eight. so today yes t- today we don't have subprime Okay, so Mm -hmm. people learn their lessons, they're not doing anymore. Mm -hmm. However, we have something else. We have Mm -hmm. small and medium sized banks in the US Mm -hmm. that have lent massively, massively uh, uh, to the commercial side. So commercial loans today are massive in the US by smaller Mm -hmm. and medium sized banks. Now, Mm -hmm. in case of a wobble in the US economy, these are the first Mm -hmm. ones to, to, to literally blow up. So it's actually very similar to the savings and loans crisis that we've seen early 80s in the US. So this might not really trigger a systemic event because as long as the 20 or 50 larger institutions in the US are stable, then the banking system would remain stable because there's a resort to them. Deposits can go to them. So I would say it's an expanded idiosyncratic risk that we see rather than a massive systemic, uh, systemic, systemic event. But I do think we will see many more banking institutions and finance institutions failing. And I do think on the tech side as well, from a valuation, valuations have been, I think, exaggerated on the back of the very loose financial conditions as as we are today. Um, mm. around 5%. I think these valuations were drop. And mm-hmm. last, from a stock market perspective, the mm. uh, the checks that the Americans have gotten for the pandemic are still mm. running at the moment. They're still using them. Right. Savings rate right. is still healthy. But as soon as right. this is depleted, this mm. will affect the stock market. Because at the moment, mm. what's mostly supporting the stock market is the massive retail sector that is very activist. So mm. once these guys run out of money, well, yeah. no more support for stock markets. Yeah, I, I agree with you on this because yesterday there was a report from Goldman Sachs that they said that seven, $750 billion of stock stocks will be sold by retail investors to regain their savings. When they are done with their savings, they will have to sell $750 billion of stocks in equity. Okay, so when we go to the next question, so you think there will be a, there will be an event in Q4 or maybe some sometime in the first quarter of next year. So do you think that we'll get a soft landing or a hard landing? Or we can say, can we now conclude that soft landing is out of the question? I, as an economist, do not believe there's something called soft landing. Soft landing <laughs> in my vocabulary does not exist. Yeah. Okay. I have never seen a soft landing in my life. Generally, it's typically, it's a slow, 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 what looks like a soft landing. And then yeah. suddenly we have a cliff effect. We have a recession. A soft yeah. landing as defined by everyone, it's a slowing economy that reaches almost zero, zero growth, economic growth. So it doesn't mm. really reach recession. Uh, so for me, it doesn't exist. So the economy generally slows down slowly, and then uh, there's a cliff effect. Just like we've seen with SVB, SVB just right. on the basis of $1.8 billion uh, on their investment mm. portfolio, they blew up. And this is yes. how an economy functions usually. It just slows down slowly and then everything happens very very quickly this is what history tells us and this is what theory tells us as well from an economic perspective right so uh, yesterday jpm came with a new that 1.1 trillion dollars of deposits have output from the banks to money market funds or the u.s treasury short-term strategies the root cause has been the spread between mmfs and the bank deposits 
so many market funds are yielding somewhere about 4% 4.5% while the bank deposits are around if you take the average of smaller and larger banks they are around 0.5% jpm is offering 0.01% on deposits while some of the smaller banks are offering 1.5 to 2% if this money doesn't stop if the outflows continue from deposits to mmfs so do you think that this regional crisis the regional bank crisis can grow and the bftp that the window that the fed has opened we will see a, a huge increase in that and the money supply will increase and the whole the, the qt that fed has done it will be reversed very soon yes absolutely so i go back to my previous point i do think that today the subprime of today uh, is small and medium sized banks in the us so yes there will be a crisis and uh, the the outflows uh, outflows are that we are seeing is not only because of that differential it's also because depositors are worried following svb yeah. silvergate uh, and 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 a few others so it's it's not only svb actually there are many and this is where this money has absolutely as you rightly mentioned has has gone to money markets very quickly but it also went to bitcoin and we've seen bitcoin yeah. just jump to $28,000 yeah. and and as yeah. we know bitcoin is generally the the, the retail uh, it's a retail investment tool yeah. so uh if you look on forums retail forums twitter fintwits mm-hmm. uh, reddit and everywhere everyone were saying well here's the bitcoin moment here's mm-hmm. what bitcoin has been promising you a safe haven right. from banks Right. Um, uh, another another asset class that benefited a lot is 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 gold. Cool. So yeah. yes, alternatives are there. So mm-hmm. it's not there's no alternative. It's not Tina anymore. There are alternatives. Mm-hmm. So yes, this mm-hmm. will continue, and mm-hmm. and and this differential is 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 quite substantial. So this will definitely yeah. affect uh, uh, affect smaller and and medium sized banks. Mm-hmm. Now larger banks, it's a different story. So yeah. to give you examples for for clients of mine very large clients mm-hmm. they are getting fixed deposits of 6%. Wow. Which but bank? Here we're talk- <laughs> I I I can't <laughs> name the banks okay. but it's, okay. it's it's tier it's tier 1 banks um okay. uh, um uh, some of them are british some of them operate in in, uh, in right. switzerland american banks in okay. switzerland so they offer 6% okay. but we're talking wow. very large amounts. So um, it's okay. it's north of fifty million dollars uh, for a deposit, and it's over right. twelve months. So when talking right. to these banks, their strategy is they want to attract as much short term deposits as they can. So what they do mm-hmm. is they give twelve months fixed deposit. They are very high, so they book the client. Mm-hmm. The client is becomes mm-hmm. a captive client, and um, and and then uh, on the lending side, this gives them flexibility to lend more over longer term at current interest rates. So, right. um, so, so basically, they're playing with their loan, de- loan to deposit ratio. They're trying mm-hmm. to increase as much as possible their loan to deposit ratio, but without hitting in the mm-hmm. limits. Right. So now we turn to Europe, and we got the short shotgun wedding, which some people call the massive merger and the, the the biggest merger of the last ten years between Great Swiss and UBS. And some people think that that uh, the Swiss regulators have done very un- was when very unfair with them by uh, striking off the eighty one bond or the cocoa bonds as we know, and this shocked many market participants as well. That how can equity holders uh, be given preference above the eighty one bond holders? So do you think that there is a risk of contagion in Europe due to this uh, cocoa bonds fiasco? 
and the amount is very large i think 275 billion dollars is the total amount of the 81 market in europe what what are your views on this so uh, let's just define things a little bit okay so 80 uh, so 81 bonds are basically additional tier 1 bonds so this right. is a bond that the bank bank issues to have additional uh, tier 1 capital so it can operate with 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 more cash it's an instrument that is generally sold to institutional investors and it's a high risk instrument it's considered as a high high risk instrument because it's called a coco bond which is contingent convertible Multiple. that means yeah. yes so they take cocco contingent CO. convertible uh, so it's a convertible instrument that can be converted into in basically equity so uh, very very high risk now many people um, uh, don't really read the documentation of of such instruments and specifically for the credits with uh, 81 bond it is in the documentation that this bond can be zero can be wiped out completely in case of a viability event that requires the intervention of the state and this is precisely what happened the swiss authorities have intervened it is a viability event because the viability of credit suisse was on on the line hence the 81 bond is worth zero so what happened is not surprising it is written in the documentation now unfortunately 81 bonds have become like invest invested in like any normal bond without taking into account the high risk nature of that bond so it became uh, a widely spread um yielding uh, uh fixed income instrument that is widely used in europe and here i'm going to answer your question that i think yes um people will start dumping 81 bonds um and and this could affect banks in um, in europe like we've seen deutsche banks uh, credit default swap which is the cost of insuring the debt of the bank it it measures sort of the risk of the debt of the bank has completely spiked over the past 24 hours so something is going on there so we will start seeing these pockets these cracks uh, on the back of these 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 81 bonds that could expand and could yes become a systemic risk so we saw that there was a knee jerk reaction even in asia a lot of banks big banks in asia also have raised a lot of money by 81 bonds and there's a fear genuine fear that th- this will lead to increase in the cost of capital as because they have to raise the tier one capital if they raise by 81 bonds they have to pay a lot more if they cancel the 81 bonds they raise by equity they will have to uh, uh, they will have to pay more so so finally what will happen is that the return ratio return on equity for banks might decrease going forward so do you think that banks as a, if you are a bond holder or if you are a stockholder banks will return lot less in the next coming few years in asia and europe both so the cost of capital is going up and i think it should go up because again i go back to the zombie companies or zombie banks as well right. like svb uh, and unfortunately right. like credit suisse as well because yeah. uh, basically i want these very weak risk managed banks and financial institutions to disappear they should not be in the system the zombie companies should disappear financial institutions that are very poorly managed high risk very poor risk managed should disappear so yes increased cost of capital is very good banks should yield less than what what they yield today because a banking institution should should not be a high margin type of uh, investment 
in my humble mm-hmm. opinion. It should be a low margin type of investment. It should be a low risk type of investment um, uh, because it's a very regulated type of financial institutions. So yes, uh, I do think that margins on banks will drop and I think many banks will disappear. And that's a very good thing. The system needs a cleanup. Let's stop kicking the can down the road and mm-hmm. let's rebuild an, a, a much healthier uh, banking system and financial uh, sector. Right. Great views. So uh, next we jump to asset allocation. And since you have managed a lot of money, last year, the TLT, which is the 20 year plus uh, instrument to, to invest in the US treasuries, it saw drop drawdown of around 20%, more than 20% due to high duration. And the duration was the uh, weakest link when the Fed increased the rates. So this year, what do you think will return more? Do you will you think do you think that the U.S. Treasuries will yield uh, will return more than the equities, or uh, you still think that some part of the equity markets in the U.S. is looking attractive than bonds? Okay, so I've been public about it um, on mm-hmm. on public forums. We've been away okay. from U.S. equities since April. Um, um, so uh, April last year. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. we're not compensated enough for the risk we're taking in U.S. equities. This whipsaw of 1% up, 1% down per, per day, uh, this mm-hmm. is eating the risk budget, and it's not justified. Mm-hmm. It, we're not compensated mm-hmm. enough for that. So we're simply mm-hmm. on the sidelines. We're neither long nor short. Just simply, we don't mm-hmm. use it. Cash is king. Europe, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, then let, let's move eastwards in Europe. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. Europe, we had a very negative view of Europe. What saved mm-hmm. Europe is a very mild, very mild winter. So we did not right. have an energy crisis and Europe did not mm-hmm. hard land as we expected. So as mm-hmm. soon as this, uh, we started feeling it, we, we started picking up some small pockets of opportunity that really mm-hmm. dropped in price in Europe. So we have mm-hmm. an allocation in Europe on these. Mm-hmm. We went into China again at the opening, but then we took profit very early um, uh, or earlier this year um, because it was relatively overdone. Then we are mostly in emerging markets and particularly here in the region and the GCC, because this very specific emerging market, if you look at their balance sheets, it's Mm -hmm. very low debt to GDP. It's positive mm-hmm. growth, it's diversification, it's reform, um, it's mm-hmm. dividend paying, it's, it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and for us, we do think it is the future of emerging markets. So this is where we're mostly invested on, on, on the stocks. Now, with regards to fixed income, um, um, so we're looking at high quality uh, credit, basically, wherever this mm-hmm. is available. Um, uh, we do think that treasuries, yes, would outperform U.S. equities. So uh, uh, U.S. treasuries are also a good investment. Now, as we head into recession, this um, uh, uh, inverted curve will steepen again. So this is where we we think there's an opportunity uh, 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 as well. And finally, private lending. As... uh, uh, financial institutions and banks start lending less because of mm-hmm. tighter financial conditions, okay. because of slowdown. We do think there's an opportunity here with high interest mm-hmm. rates to do private mm-hmm. lending and invest into private lending and private investments mm-hmm. in general. So right. this is very quickly the, uh, uh, the the asset allocation, if you will. So since you talked about GCC, uh, there's a concern that when a recession arrives, there will be fall in the commodity prices. 
and we know that a lot of income that the company generate in gcc is via oil and gas so do you think that will be negative for the equities in gcc uh, well, for oil-specific equities, yes, but for the economy, no, because today, let's take the example of the UAE. Uh, the UAE's economy is very well diversified, and now it's a smaller percentage of the GDP that is coming from oil and gas. Um, so there will be a fallout, very specific to specific sectors, but not across the board. Um, um, so um, uh, so we, we, we remain invested. The second bit is that let's not forget that GCC stocks are dividend-paying stocks. They have mm-hmm. very much uh, features of equities and fixed income at the same time. They're very stable, namely uh, state-owned enterprises like telecom companies, for example, here in the UAE, a company called Etisalat. It's the, it, it has sort of the monopoly here in the UAE. It's non-cyclical. People will continue using phones and it pays 4 to 6% dividends. So investments like this, you just cannot refuse them. Next, we come to the copper gold ratio. I think this is the best indicator which indicates the expansion in the economy, in the global economy and the recessionary part. When this ratio rises, then we can see expansion. And when it falls, we see that the investors are going to safe heaven, which is gold, which which we can say is the Bitcoin as well for retail investors. So this ratio is now falling and which as you said that we will get a recession in the coming few quarters in the US and the West. So do you think that it is time to invest in gold? Gold has given no returns in USD in the last 10 years and we will see a breakout and we'll see that it will be one of the best performing asset classes this year. So uh, we we always keep a small allocation to gold. It stabilizes Mm -hmm. the portfolio and uh, 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 when you look at it, it has been... not the perfect inflation hedge, but it mm. has helped in hedging inflation to a certain extent. Um, we wouldn't increase the allocation substantially, but uh, mm. but we do think uh, there's there, there has to always be an allocation to gold um, and a nice long term portfolio. Then uh, then yes, I wouldn't be surprised seeing gold going to twenty five hundred if really things go sour across the world and we have some systemic events. Then I do think it, it it can it can spike absolutely yes, but I wouldn't pl- place a big allocation to it. Um, gold, as you know, doesn't generate any 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 return, any any revenue mm-hmm. or any dividends, uh, so mm-hmm. it, it remains a very static asset class. Um, mm-hmm. But it helps stabilize and increase the sharp ratio of the, of the portfolio. Right. So when we talk about emerging markets, we can't let China go away. We saw that from the October lows, China rallied more than twenty percent. There was a lot of hope on the Chinese reopening. The commodities also rallied a lot, for example, iron ore or copper, uh, but it fizzled out very soon. So do you think that the play on Chinese reopening is over? Or do you think that the, there will be earnings momentum in Chinese equity markets and it will be the sole outperformer this year? So we think it was it was overdone. That's why we booked our profits back in January, uh, just if, wow. uh, two months ago. Um, uh, because yes, there was a big knee jerk after the, uh, after the opening. Now, um, uh, China, I cannot exclude it from what's happening on the geopolitical scene. Uh, so from, from a trade perspective, it has completely beaten the US. So it, and we think that it has already won the trade war, but from a geopolitical 
perspective, and I'm sure you've seen the visit that was done by President Xi to, to Russia, Russia, talking about the new world order, etc. Right. Um, it's very tense in the South China Sea, Taiwan, etc. So I cannot exclude the geopolitical backdrop from China's uh, economic performance. So we're quite cautious there. We're afraid of a geopolitical event. Uh, accidents can happen. Um, and and this could this could have a big effect. So we're we're quite cautious. If we exclude all of this, then yes, we would be positive on China, and we would invest into China. So we talked about gold. You said a lot of things about Bitcoin. The retail investors pumping Bitcoin up this year. I think it uh, bottomed out at fifteen thousand dollars, and now it is twenty eight thousand dollars, which is more than fifty sixty percent rally from the lows. Uh, do you think that if Okay, so it is a retail play, but for institutional investors, do you think that now is the time to allocate some percent, say three percent to five percent of the portfolio to Bitcoin? I can tell you from, yeah, I can tell you from here in the GCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I talked to multiple institutional investors who have started mm-hmm. putting allocations um, uh, into Bitcoin um, in, in their portfolios. So mm-hmm. uh, I think institutional adoption is improving. But what mm-hmm. it's what it's still holding it back is the infrastructure, it's right. it's the banking, it's the custody, mm-hmm. it's the market players. There's still a question mm-hmm. mark on brokers, custodians, etc. So this mm-hmm. is what's still holding bank, I think, holding back institutional investors. As soon as the infrastructure for for uh, cryptocurrencies in general improves, mm-hmm. becomes safer, becomes more transparent, then mm-hmm. I think institutional adoption will rise uh, very very quickly. Uh, uh, just just a few days ago, the UAE central bank has announced the central bank digital currency. Right. Uh, so it, mm-hmm. it should be coming soon. So yes, it mm-hmm. is a developing sector. It is a developing mm-hmm. asset class. And we will mm-hmm. see more and more asset allocation by institutional investors. Thanks a lot, Ryan, for your time. For those listening to this podcast, I would give a suggestion to please follow Ryan on LinkedIn. He was the first one to crack the beer market, beer market in the US. He exited the US positions last April, as he said. And I think you'll benefit a lot by following Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, for your time. Thank you, Sagar. I appreciate the, uh, the hosting. Thank you. Have a nice. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.